Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. One of our favorite guests has returned for a, uh, I don't know how many uh, appearance, (laughs) a number. Uh, His name is Tom Jensen, and he is the director of public policy polling, which is a company that uh, does polling across not only North Carolina, but across the state. And we always like to hear the results of the latest polling. And uh, so, uh, Tom, welcome back to the program. Good to be with you. Yeah. So let, let's uh, let's take a look uh, very quickly at. Yeah, uh, uh, you also have some fun polls too that you add because every time you do a poll, you have a few extra questions, and so you do some fun polls. Sure. Well, we'll talk about those later <laughs> on, probably in the final segment because uh, they are always kind of interesting. But right now, let's let's talk about the national situation because we've had a number of things that are highly controversial, including the government shutdown. And uh, so, how how has that affected uh, uh, Donald Trump's polling? Well, it has driven his approval numbers even lower than they already were. He's pretty consistently over the course of his time as president had about a 42, 43 percent approval rating. Uh, But people were very unhappy about the shutdown, even some people who had uh, stuck with him over the previous two years. So our newest national poll found him down to a 40 percent approval rating. 57% 57% disapproval. At the same time, at the same time, no, we no, did, that's nationwide, or is yeah. that okay? And at the same time, we did our poll. The Associated Press actually had a national poll that found his approval rating all the way down at 34%, uh, which is the lowest any poll has found his approval so far. So he may bounce back now that the shutdown's over, but this is definitely one of his lowest points to date. Now, in North Carolina, he usually rides what four or five points higher than the national. Yeah, in North Carolina, he has about a 45% approval rating, about 50% disapproval. So, given that he won the state by four points, he's had about a 10-point net shift in the wrong direction. But because he did do six points better in North Carolina in 2016 than he did nationally, he's pretty consistently had better numbers here than he has in the country as a whole. So, now, what what other polling did you do regarding the government shutdown other than the approval of the president? Well, we asked people uh, whether they agreed with Trump that the government should stay shut down until he got funding for the wall. And people said by about a 20-point margin that they disagreed with that. Uh, People wanted the government to immediately reopen without any wall funding, which, of course, ultimately is what happened. Uh, And when we asked people very simply if they want to pay for a wall or not, uh, people are opposed to that by about 15 points. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the coming weeks on this issue because it really is something that voters didn't want a government shutdown over this, but they also just don't want it, period. See, one of the things I've always wanted to do, you know, when you go to the grocery store now and a lot of the stores have the price per ounce or the price per serving and so forth, well, I've always wanted to see, you know, when they talk about something being $5 billion or something like that, I'd like to have an average how much that is per capita. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so you take the total number and divide it by the population, which is what now? What's the United it's States? About population? 350 million, I think. About 350 million. So uh, very quickly, uh, check out what $5 billion would be, uh, Jason, uh, with uh, 350 million people. So we can understand how much $5 billion really <laughs> I think that doesn't that drive the point home better? Sure. Uh, but uh, I don't think Congress ever wants to do that because they're afraid <laughs> that. Uh, they would see that a number of programs are, um, you know, a little high. 
think so, it comes out to about fifteen dollars a person. So I don't know how many people want to pay fifteen dollars for the wall. Or if you've got a family of four, sixty dollars. <laughs> sure. So. I'm sure – I think the results would be the people who are in favor of the wall would say, yes, it's a good expenditure, and the people against it well, would say it's not. there was a GoFundMe to build the wall, and it raised about $15 million out of the $5 billion. So uh, there, there was $15 million worth of people willing to put their money up for it, but it's, uh, it's not going to get us much of a wall. So um – other, what about other means? The total integrate uh, immigration situation is a little different than the wall. So, how did you do polling on that? You know, basically, immigration is not very high up on the list of things that people are concerned about right now. We've generally found that uh, what people would like to see is a path to citizenship for people who are already in the country. With the dreamers. Some, yeah, yeah, with some pretty strict restrictions. I mean, it's not like people just want uh, folks to be able to do whatever they want. But uh, I think that there is some interest in coming up with sort of a longer-term solution than, than we've seen happen. Of course, this issue's been very much on the table for at least a couple decades now, and uh, it, it just seems sort of intractable, at least in terms of getting the politicians to get together and figure anything out about it. So what is high on the list of people's concerns right now? Uh, really, health care was the defining issue of the 2018 election. I think that was the highest thing on voters' minds. And because they trusted Democrats a lot more on it than Republicans, that's why Democrats had such a good election last year. And, of course, the other thing that's always at the top of people's minds is the economy. Uh, something that's sort of interesting is that since Trump became president, uh, 38% of people say that their personal economic situation has gotten better, uh, and that's more than the 28% or so who say that it's gotten worse. Uh, but then you also have another 32% who say it stayed about the same. Uh, so even though economists and sort of big-picture economic indicators say that things have gone well for the economy during the Trump presidency, 38% of voters say their personal situation's gotten better. 60% either say that it hasn't or that it's gotten worse. Uh, and I think that's a big part of why Trump doesn't have the sort of approval ratings that usually a president would have in this sort of economy. So now uh, that's nationwide you're yep. talking about. Is North Carolina different? Uh, North Carolina pretty much matches national no. trends. So uh, what uh, other things are on people's minds other than health care? Healthcare, the economy, immigration probably is the, the third thing up there. Has and the Korean situation just disappeared from the radar, the North Korean situation? Yeah, that's definitely not something that we hear anything about. I mean, one thing that's difficult during the Trump years in terms of the issues that voters care about is there's so many new issues every day that I think it's hard for anything to sort of get the saturation coverage that brings it up to being a top-of-mind issue. So often there's something that for a couple days seems like the biggest issue in the world, and then two weeks later you forget that that was even something that was getting talked about. So this is sort of the shortest attention span uh, sort of period of time I think we've had in this country in a long time with so many different things going on that very few of them have any sort of staying power that keeps them at the top of voters' minds. All of the investigations, especially the one with regards to ties to Russia, 
constantly in the news. Do people really are they really interesting or, or interested in that, or are they just confused? <laughs> well, I think there is a mixture of interest and confusion, but what there definitely is not is much movement about what voters actually think happened. Uh, we've been asking people for two years now if they think the Trump campaign colluded with the Russians or not. Uh, and what we generally find is that about 43 or 44% think that the Trump campaign did collude with the Russians, and about 43 or 44% think that the Trump campaign didn't collude with the Russians. And what's been particularly interesting to me about polling that over the last couple of years is that no matter what news, new news stories there might be, those numbers never change. The opinions about uh, the Russia and Trump issue are very much locked in. If you think that there is collusion, basically no new news that comes out changes your mind about that. If you think there wasn't collusion, no new news that comes out changes your mind about that. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, if there is anything that could possibly happen sometime this year that would actually cause a sizable number of people to change their minds about that or not, because it's been very intractable so far. So, uh, during all this time, what is? Uh, are you doing any polling on Vice President Pence and what people feel about him? Yeah, I mean, he's not as unpopular as Trump, but he's not popular either. Uh, and we do also regularly ask people whether they would prefer that Trump or Pence was president. And Trump always wins that by about a 10-point margin. So, uh, he definitely still has a stronghold over the Republican Party, even if his overall approval numbers aren't that great. Well, all these situations are so interesting. You know, one of the things that's always been interesting to me is why uh, the press particularly thinks that only Russia would be interested in the outcome of presidential elections. I mean, you know, I've always sort of suspected that all foreign countries were interested in American elections. And uh, now whether people collude with them or not, I don't know. That's a different (laughs) issue. But it seemed like it was sort of a surprise that a foreign country was interested in how they elect. I mean, we're interested in how uh, who's the Russian premier. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Or president. I guess the release of Hillary Clinton's emails that were hacked has sort of given it a new level of attention that it hasn't had in the past. But uh, I think you're right that certainly this is not the first time something like this has happened. Well, it's it's just kind of interesting. Any other issues with regard to Trump while we're in this segment of the program that you're pulling on? And well, just as just as administration. Yeah, I mean, just as simple reelection odds are a big part of what we've been pulling on. And right now, no matter what Democrat you test against Trump, he gets forty-one or forty-two percent. Different Democrats get different levels of support depending on how much name recognition they have. But uh, that's a little bit of a dangerous place for Trump to be right now: forty-one or forty-two percent, no matter who his opponent is. Okay, so now have you converted that to electoral votes? Because we all know that he didn't win the popular vote. To begin with, <laughs> well, he's down by six to uh, eleven points against the different Democrats we test him against, and of course, even though he did lose the popular vote in 2016, he only lost it by two points. So it's pretty safe to say that if he's actually still down by six points 21 months from now, which there's plenty of time for him to rectify that, that those states that he won very narrowly—Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania—would go the other way, and he would lose. So when uh, the, of course, the next election is sometime off now, but and, and the Democrats are already beginning to fire up, and we're going to talk about that in the next segment of the program. Uh, so generally speaking, when does the American public kind of start focusing on the issues? 
I think I'm, the heavy focus won't come till next year. But one thing that's interesting, we were looking back at our last time we had a president running for re-election, January of 2011. We tested Barack Obama against Mitt Romney. Barack Obama led Mitt Romney by five points. And when we actually had the election in November of 2012, Obama beat Romney by four points. So it's actually possible that the state of things right now will stay pretty steady over the next couple of years. But at the same time, Ronald Reagan looked in bad shape for re-election at this time in 1983 and ended up winning something like 48 states. So it can go either way on whether where things are now holds or not. Our guest is uh, Tom Jensen, and we'll be back with more right after these messages. I can help the next customer over here. Oh, thank you. Wow, that's a lot of books. Let's see. How to keep your child safe. Child-proofing your home. Child-proofing your yard. Child-proofing your in-laws home and yard. Well, I'm guessing you have a little one at home. Yeah. Well, it looks like you must take good care of her. Oh, thank you. Now, let's see. Parents' Guide to Safe Toys. That's a really good one. Parents' Guide to Safe Foods. Parents' Guide to Safe Safety Products. Parents' Guide to Parenting Guides. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and other safety tips. Of all the things you can read about keeping your child safe, the most important is attached to the back of their car seat. Read the instruction manual and learn to use the latch system. It makes it easier to be sure your child's car seat is installed correctly. Parents' Guide to Telling Other Parents How to Raise Their Kids. To learn more, go to safercar.gov. Anchor, tether, latch. The next generation of child safety. A message from the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. When we get old, will you take care of me if I can't get around anymore? Of course. We'll find a way. Are you going to take care of me if I can't see anymore? I'll read to you every day. And if one of us gets Alzheimer's disease, what then? Call 1-800-437-2423 for a free booklet on caring for your loved ones from Alzheimer's Disease Research. 1-800-437-2423. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Tom Jensen, the director of public policy polling, is our guest. He's been on the program a number of times before. He does polling all across the country as well as here in North Carolina on the issues of the day. And I lied in the last segment. I said we were going to come back and talk about the uh, 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 national presidential election and the candidates and so forth. But I'm going to change to the state of North Carolina first and talk about uh, – uh, the approval ratings of the various folks in North Carolina. Now, we've got uh, uh, Roy Cooper, of course, is the governor, and, and he clearly will run again. Um, so, first of all, what's his approval rating? Uh, he's in pretty decent shape. He has a 45% approval rating. 36% of voters disapprove of him. On the surface, a plus nine net approval rating might not sound all that impressive, uh, but when you put it in context compared to his predecessors, he comes out looking quite good. Pat McCrory at this time during his time as governor had about a minus five approval rating. Bev Perdue at this period during her time as governor had about a minus 15 approval rating. North Carolina is very tough on its politicians and you really have to go back about to Governor Hunt uh, to, to find somebody who consistently was able to remain popular over the course of their time in office as either governor or senator. Uh, so in that context, Cooper's holding up pretty well. Now, of course, uh, the Republicans are beginning to line up uh, and begin to talk about who's going to run, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But in the meantime, there's a lot of uh, 
interest in the power of Phil Berger and Tim Moore. Uh, what is the name recognition issue involved with uh, Phil Berger, and do people understand the, the real power that uh, that, uh, that office holds? No, people have absolutely no idea who either Phil Berger or Tim Moore is, even after uh, each of them has been in power for quite a long time now. They don't have anywhere close to even 50% statewide name recognition. Uh, so it's sort of an interesting thing. Phil Berger, uh, certainly up until a couple weeks ago, was the most powerful person in the state, even if he wasn't the governor. And he wielded that power as the most powerful person in the state, uh, even without voters really having any idea who he is. Uh, and it's just a reality of how much attention voters pay to state government. Uh, one thing we found in this poll, for instance, is that the vast majority of people have no idea who Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest is. Uh, when Roy Cooper is getting ready to run for governor, even after he'd been attorney general for 16 years, a majority of voters in the state had no idea who he was. Uh, so if you get to being in any sort of office below about governor, people just aren't going to know who you are. Interestingly, the second most well-known statewide elected official in the state is actually Cherie Berry, the labor commissioner, elevators. just from having her picture in the elevators. <laughs> uh, interesting. So uh, what do you attribute that to? Why, why is there so little name recognition? I would imagine 20 years ago the name recognition of politicians was much higher. Yeah, I think it is just a decrease in sort of media coverage of state government, especially once you get outside Raleigh. There's not that much coverage of state government on local TV news, which is still uh, about the biggest place that people get their news coverage from. Uh, of course, all the newspapers in the state used to do a great job of covering state government, but uh, now there's not a whole lot of that left, and most people don't take the newspaper anyway. And then, of course, in a world where we have 42 million different things to entertain us at any given time, uh, I think there's just not the general level of civil, civic engagement that there was uh, in past generations. So uh, I think that's a, a trend that is probably not likely to reverse itself. We've talked a lot about the uh, state elected officials. We have, of course, uh, congressmen and senators uh, who serve North Carolina, Richard Burr and Tom Tillis. Richard Burr has been office in for office for some time, and every time he runs, there's a huge lack of name recognition, even though he has run what, three times? Yeah, politics is all about timing. Uh, Richard Burr has been up in three different election cycles that were great for Republicans, so he's been able to win all three of his elections. If he'd been up in 2018, if he'd been up in 2008, 2006, he probably uh, would have lost, but that's really just what it comes down to. And on the topic of timing being so important, though, uh, I think Tom Tillis is in a lot of trouble for re-election next year. He wasn't popular even when he got elected. It was really just a situation where voters didn't like him or Kay Hagan, but they decided they disliked him marginally less than they disliked Kay Hagan, so he won by a couple points. Uh, he's never been able to build up any popularity so far during his time in the Senate. His approval rating is always in the 30s. He usually has a higher disapproval than approval. So uh, I think that the Senate race is going to be one of the most competitive in the country next year. And 2014, Tillis had good timing because it was generally a good Republican year nationally. Right now, it doesn't look like 2020 is going to be a good Republican year nationally. I think that if the election was today, Tillis would probably lose because we're in a pretty good Democratic political climate. Of course, 
there's a long way to go to see how strong of a candidate Democrats end up with, and things could get better for Republicans in the national political climate here over the next uh, 21 months. But uh, I think that just like the 2014 Senate race, when Tillis ran the first time, was the top Senate race in the country, there's a good chance it's going to be the top Senate race in the country again next year. Uh, who are who are the candidates, and have you polled how they would run against Tom Tillis? Yeah, so far there's a couple Democratic candidates in the race. Trevor Fuller, who's the chair of the Mecklenburg County Commissioners, is running. Uh, and then Senator Erica Smith, who represents a district in uh, eastern North Carolina and has sort of an interesting biography. Uh, they're both in the race. Uh, we've tested Fuller against Tillis, and Tillis has about a five-point lead. But that is largely, I think, a product of uh, Fuller having no name recognition whatsoever. When we test Tom Tillis against a generic Democrat, it's a tie race, and I really think it's going to be a tie race, give or pl- uh, plus or minus a couple points, probably all the way from here on through the election. It just speaks to how closely divided we are as a state. Uh, even though those couple of Democrats are already in, there's still a strong push to get higher profile folks into the race. I think if national Democrats were able to just pick their candidate, it would be Attorney General Josh Stein. Uh, right now, he's still planning to run for re-election, but uh, potentially could change his mind. There's interest in getting former Charlotte Mayor and Obama Administration uh, Transportation Secretary Anthony Fox into the race. And then Deborah Ross, uh, the former legislator from Wake County, who was the candidate in 2016, uh, is also thinking about running again this time. And uh, she basically ran even with Hillary Clinton in her 2016 race. I think it's really a situation where uh, if Trump wins the state, Tillis will get reelected. If the Democratic candidate for president wins the state, there's a pretty good chance the Democratic Senate candidate's going to win, too, pretty much no matter who it is. Now, that's all assuming that Trump runs for reelection. Yeah, which uh, I think he's full steam ahead for now, but of course... Uh, I'm sure Lyndon Johnson was full steam ahead at this time in 1967, so we know that these things can change. Tom Jensen is our guest. He's the director of public policy polling, and he uh, conducts polls across the country, and the views that he's expressing have to do with the results of those polls. Now, Pat uh, McCrory is uh, also considering running again. Uh, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he's ruled out running for Senate. Is that correct? Uh, he's ruled out running for that uh, congressional seat in the ninth uh, yes. congressional oh, district that's so contentious. No. Uh, he is thinking about running for governor. He's also thinking about running for the Senate in 2022. Richard Burr said after his last reelection that he wasn't going to run again. So that leads to sort of an interesting choice for uh, Pat McCrory. Uh, if he runs for governor, he starts out in the game, but certainly still as an underdog. He trails Cooper by four points, 45 to 41. Their race in 2016 was basically a tie, so Cooper's a little bit stronger now than he was against McCrory before. Uh, I think one thing that really sort of buttressed Cooper's standing was uh, competent handling of a couple hurricanes last year. There's nothing that helps a North Carolina governor's popularity more than competently handling a hurricane. So I think McCrory would have a chance, but he would be an underdog. That 2022 Senate race, on the other hand, if Democrats win the presidency next year, like they're currently 
position to. One thing we know is that first midterm of a new president, their party gets wiped out. So if there's a new Democratic president next year, it's overwhelmingly likely that Republicans will win that open U.S. Senate race in 2022 uh, if when Richard Burr retires. So I think McCrory would have perhaps a better chance of winning a Senate race in 2022 than a gubernatorial race in 2020. Uh, but uh, it's, of course, hard to say how all these things that look like they'll be in good timing from uh, February of 2019 will actually be two, three years from now. Now, you mentioned the congressional race, uh, the congressional uh, election that is being uh, reviewed and contested at this point in time. How much interest is there in that? And what uh, does the public seem to want? Have you done polling on that? Yeah, uh, 48% of voters across the state think there should be a re-election in the 9th Congressional District. Only 28% of voters think that uh, Mark Harris should just be certified as the winner. Uh, it does seem overwhelmingly likely at this point that we are headed for a re-election. And what's going to be interesting to see then is if Republicans stick with Mark Harris as their candidate, or if they try to get somebody else who doesn't have this sort of uh, tinge of scandal on them to be the candidate instead. And then the other sort of confounding factor there is that Mark Harris has been having some serious health problems uh, since the election. So that may give him and Republicans an out where uh, they can get another candidate without actually having to admit that they felt like they needed to get another candidate because of the scandal. A question I've had all along is if the election in Bladen County is ruled uh, um, illegal or wrong or needs to be redone, what about all the other races in Bladen County? Would they also not be up? I think that might have been the only one where the race was so close that it could have made a big difference. Okay. Uh, but I'm not sure. Well, we'll have to see. Tom Jensen is our guest. He's the uh, Director of Public Policy Polling and a frequent guest on our program talking about the results of their polls. And we're going to come back with another segment and ask uh, Tom some interesting questions about what else he's finding out. And we'll do that right after these messages. Hi, everybody. I'm Susie Orman with an important message from the FDIC about keeping your money safe and sound. Recently, I got a letter from a woman who told me she took all of her money out of the bank and put it in a shoebox in her closet. What was she thinking? That's not a safe thing to do. You know what I told her? Put it back in the bank now. If your money is in an FDIC member bank and you stay within coverage limits, you have no reason to worry. You can't lose a penny no matter what. That's a lot safer than a shoebox, if you ask me. How can you make sure your money is totally FDIC protected? If I were you, I would want to know that. So here's what I want you to do. Go to myfdicinsurance.gov and click on Edie the Estimator and find out. That's Edie the Estimator at myfdicinsurance.gov. Go there today. Because the more you know, the safer your money. You've got your shades on, do you? So cool, so hip, so sheltered by frames of UV protection to show the world you are a force. But did you also know by wearing sunglasses, you're doing your eyes a favor? That's right. Sunglasses help avoid overexposure to the sun, which can produce red eyes, a feeling of grittiness, even excessive tearing. But you, oh master of the incognito, are taking care of your eyes without even knowing it. For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist or visit AOA.org. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. 
We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Tom Jensen, who's the director of public policy polling, and we've talked about all sorts of things. And we said we were going to get back to looking at uh, various and sundry Democratic presidential candidates and how that uh, may be, because there may be dozens of candidates Mm -hmm. on the Democratic side. And also, probably, uh, uh, I think there's at least some thought that the Republicans might be looking for a new new candidate. Uh, Either Trump might... uh, um, not choose to run. People are assuming he's going to choose to run. He may at some point in time just say, "I've had, you know, <laughs> these." That may be a way out for him. By the way, sure, he may just say, "You know, nobody's going to do what I want them to do, so I'm to heck with it." I don't know. What What do people do? You poll him about his texting and and all his. Uh, yeah, there's there's very low approval of his social media behavior, and I actually think that's a big contributor to his overall poor approval. Uh, almost anything about Trump that you ask about, people will say, you know, 40 to 45 percent approve of this aspect of Trump or whatever. But when it comes to his tweeting and, you know, sort of general demeanor, there's only about 20 percent approval for that. So there's a lot of voters who, who actually like Trump overall but wish he would quit with the Twitter and I really think, given the state of the economy, that his approval rating would be much more like 46 or 47 percent than 40 percent or 41 percent if he just comported himself more similarly to a standard president. But I don't think that's going to happen. Well, he has been anything but a standard president. I mean, <laughs> you know, a lot of things are different. Now, what about the constant turnover of his staff? Is that a major concern to most people, or do they just think this is politics as usual? Yeah, I don't think that registers as a big thing. And at some point, you just sort of lose track of it. Uh, I must admit, we got uh, called this week to do some polls about the new nominee for the Environmental Protection Agency. And even as somebody who works and very heavily in politics, I didn't even know there was a new nominee for the head of the Environmental Protection Agency. And I think the pace of news has gotten to the point where even people who are real political news junkies can't keep up with it all, much less sort of normal people. So so I think that uh, means that the, the staff churn is one thing that isn't very high on voters' minds. Do you ever try to poll the people who watch, say, Fox News and MSNBC News separately to see what the difference is? Yeah, I mean, it really is a totally different world, and it's really uh, what people who watch Fox News think versus people who watch anything else think. Uh, Basically, conservatives almost exclusively watch Fox News, and they have one view of the world that they get from that. Uh, Liberals, on the other hand, actually watch a pretty uh, good mix of the, the major network news, NBC, ABC, CBS, and also CNN and MSNBC. Uh, but whichever one of those five that they're watching the most of, they're getting a, a totally different view of the world from the Fox News people. And I, I really think that sort of uh, the, the post-Walter Cronkite world where everybody's just going to the partisan news sources that they like to get their news is probably the biggest thing that's made our country as divided as it is now. I think I think when we were all sort of getting a similar set of information, when people were getting it from three huge nightly news anchors, and that was pretty much what we had in terms of television, everybody was sort of working off of the same information. And now, of course, we've just entered a world where uh, people are getting completely different sets of information depending on which set of politics they already have. Um, uh, the conservative talk shows, Rush Limbaugh and so forth, have you polled on those? And how? what, what results are you getting on those? 
Uh, you know, just it's, it's a similar sort of thing where conservatives love them and liberals hate them. And uh, I don't know uh, if that world is quite as influential as it was maybe a generation ago, simply because of Fox News having that same sort of role on TV, I think, has drowned it out uh, to some extent. But uh, certainly there's still a lot of people who pick up a, a lot of what they're thinking from those kinds of shows. This issue of being registered Republican, registered Democrat, registered unaffiliate, uh, is that trend continuing to see more and more people change their affiliations? Yep. Uh, unaffiliated certainly is growing at a considerably higher pace than either Democrats or Republicans. We've already reached the point now where we have more unaffiliated in North Carolina than Republicans. Republicans have gone to being in third place. And uh, it's going to reach a point. We're still probably five or ten years away, but we're going to reach a point where there's more unaffiliated than Democrats, too. And unaffiliated will make up the plurality of voters in the state. Young people registering to vote especially feel no loyalty to the uh, political party system at all. Even though they largely vote Democratic when it comes to making choices between the candidates, they still don't identify as Democrats. They don't want to be part of a political party. Uh, It just really doesn't have any appeal to them. Now, for years, we have assumed, uh, and there's been evidence, that as you grow older, uh, you tend to get more and more conservative in your views, whether it's uh, the typical conservatism that we talk about or not. Uh, Is that trend continuing? In other words, uh, the 25-year-old of five years ago that might have been a a, a more liberal thinking, what, what happens when they're 35? Uh, I think people are pretty much keeping their 25-year-old politics when they're 35. I think the bigger question is if they're still going to keep their 25-year-old politics when they're in their 50s. Uh, but I think that the the shift is not happening that young anymore. Republicans have really hurt themselves with the generation that's 18 to 50 or so right now uh, by being so conservative on social issues, because even people who uh, you know don't want high taxes and don't want government spending out of control and stuff like that uh, among younger voters still tend to be pretty socially liberal. Uh, and I think that if Republicans were more focused on economic stuff, they might find the Republican Party more appealing, but they're not going to get up with a party that still doesn't want gay marriage that still wants to criminalize abortion stuff like that if you were asked to define what the average voter is in north carolina how would you describe them on the left or right poll really right in the middle. We are the most down the middle state in the country, I think, just about. You think even about something like 2018, that was a huge Democratic year in North Carolina. The statewide races, Democrats won 51 to 49. Uh, And then uh, 2016 was thought of as being a huge Republican year in North Carolina. Republicans, on average, won the big races on the ballot by about 51 to 49. So we really are a state that's just sort of flipping back and forth between 51 to 49 one way or the other and it's a very thin line between getting all democrats or all republicans in there uh by just a couple points now the primary has been moved up next time uh do you think north carolina's influence is going to become greater well being earlier is going to make it greater uh and also of course we're just more and more becoming one of the biggest states in the country so the sheer number of delegates is going to make it very relevant 
And I also think that we're a state that pretty well represents the diversity of the Democratic Party. So I think it's going to be a compelling state for that reason. Uh, You know, we have about a third of our Democratic primary voters are African-American. So it's one of the biggest states where that constituency really gets to make its voices heard. Uh, Obviously, we have a ton of college campuses across the state. Uh, One thing that's big is that the primary will actually be during the school year now. It used to be that with our primary calendar, uh, we were having the presidential primaries right after school had been let out for the summer. And I think that reduced uh, engagement from students, but that will be up. So uh, I think this may be the most significant we've been in the primary, perhaps going back to 1976 when Ford and Reagan was such a big primary uh, in North Carolina. The Hispanic vote in North Carolina has not really, up until this point in time, been something that has been in play. But now that uh, things are so purple, uh, and that's about a 10% uh, population, when, when will the Hispanic vote become a real factor? Well, 10% population, but still only about 2% of registered voters. So uh, it's still a pretty small share of the overall electorate, uh, but obviously it's getting bigger with each passing election, and I think it's going to just get more and more and more important. But it may be still another decade or so before it becomes a a demographic group that's really uh, one of the key ones that's determining things. Why do you suspect that uh, there's such a difference between the 10% Uh, population and only 2% registered. Well, it has a lot to do with such a high percentage of the Hispanic population in the state isn't 18 yet. Uh, So the Hispanic population is is considerably younger than the overall population. So as, uh, you know, the large number of Hispanics who have moved to the state as children over the last couple decades get to be a voting age, I think we're going to see that uh, voter engagement level really increase. But I think the reason it hasn't been as high so far is uh, simply that a lot of them aren't old enough. Now, there's a lot of controversy and a lot of court cases based on uh, redistricting, trying to balance off the uh, the districts. There's also a movement for independent um, a panel to decide these districts rather than the politicians. Both the Democrats and Republicans have both admitted that they have manipulated. The Democrats, I think, have been, uh, you know, they, they've sort of taken the opinion, well, yeah, I guess the Republicans can do it because we did it. Uh, do you think uh, the public would like to see an independent uh, group decide this? Yeah. I mean, we talk about everything that Democrats and Republicans disagree on. This is something that when it comes to rank and file voters, there's actually strong agreement across party lines. About 60 percent of voters in the state would like to see independent redistricting. Only about 10 percent of voters are opposed to it. Uh, And there's two things that are interesting about that 60 to 10 support for independent redistricting. Uh, One is that Democrats, Republicans and independents alike all want it, majorities of them. So it's something that Uh, voters do agree on is that we should have fair district lines. The other thing that's interesting about it is that most issues these days, Democrats are one place, Republicans are another place, and independents are somewhere in between. This is something where independents actually are the group most strongly in support of independent redistricting. Democrats and Republicans still support it, but not as much as independents. So it's an unusual issue where independents feel more strongly about it uh, than either party. And given the growth of independent voters in the state, uh, I think the, the parties you know, would benefit from listening to this. 
Well, there is, there's going to be a movement, I understand, from a group of uh, leading citizens to, to lead that uh, effort to get that uh, pressure put on the General Assembly to do that. And uh, with the, uh, the polling like this, the, the General Assembly will be in great, uh, great pressure to do something, I would think. Yeah. Uh, our guest is Tom Jensen. He is the Director of Public Policy Polling, and we'll be back with one final segment here on Carolina Newsmakers. And uh, we are going to talk about some of his fun polls, because from time to time when they have extra time on their polling, they will ask some fun questions. And we'll talk about that, uh, as well as recap some of the other things we've already talked about in the final segment, coming up right after these messages. Are you looking for a way to give back to your community? If so, your local Guardian Ad Litem office needs your help. The North Carolina Guardian Ad Litem program is celebrating its 25th anniversary of being a voice for children who are victims of child abuse and neglect. Volunteer today to become a trained, independent advocate to represent the best interests of abused and neglected children in court proceedings. As a Guardian Ad Litem volunteer, you will also help work toward ensuring that each child is placed in a safe, permanent home, what every child needs. The Guardian Ad Litem program needs volunteers. If you have just a few hours each month to make a difference, please don't wait. Call 1-800-982-4041 or visit ncgal.org. Volunteer for the Guardian Ad Litem program. Be the voice for a child. The entire world watched. They watched each step down the rungs of that small ladder, one after another, and waited with great anticipation for that last step. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. At that moment, humanity saw the impossible become the possible. And today, the sky is not the limit. Achievement. Pass it on. A message from the Foundation for a Better Life. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, Tom Jensen is our guest. He's the Director of Public Policy Polling. Uh, He has been a frequent guest on our program, and you can go back and listen to some of his former programs if you'd like and uh, just see exactly... uh, uh, how his uh, polls actually turned out to be as far as what effect they had on uh, the issues of the day. Uh, we archive all of the programs. And, of course, you can listen to this program again or share it with a friend. Uh, the program, of course, comes in two segments, uh, two, two different formats, I should say. And a number of the stations carry only the 30-minute version. And so if you'd like to hear the other two segments of this week's program with Tom, you can go online also to carolinaneedsmakers.com and hear those two segments. Uh, our producer, Jason Kong, uh, edits those out and puts them up available for just the listening of those. Or you can share it with a friend or listen to the whole broadcast. You know, Very flexible, very flexible. Tom, um, before we get back to some serious stuff, you always do some – uh, sort of fun polls uh, when you have some extra questions in your polling. Uh, what are some of the fun polls you've been doing recently? Well, of course, right now in North Carolina, we're in the heat of college basketball season. So we did some polling about the big rivalries in the state. 
Uh, and what was kind of interesting to find is that at least when it comes to the court of public opinion, UNC Duke is not the most competitive rivalry in the state. Uh, people say that when UNC and Duke play, 45% are for UNC, only 23% are for Duke, uh, and then 32% have no opinion one way or the other, which I think says something about how many folks we have moving into the state who don't have ties to our sort of historic rivalries. But uh, So UNC has a 22-point advantage over Duke. On the other hand, when you test UNC against NC State, UNC only has a 13-point advantage, 41 to uh, 28. So uh, even though UNC Duke gets all the attention nationally when it comes to the rivalries in the state, UNC-NC State is actually uh, much more competitive in terms of sort of where North Carolinians come down. Uh, what are, uh, that's interesting. What about some of the other polls you're doing? Uh, you know, we uh, always... Fun polls. I'm talking about the fun <laughs> polls. Uh, we uh, are always sort of checking in on things like what kind of donuts North Carolinians like. And just like we have this uh, difference between people who uh, moved here or were born here in terms of how much they care about our basketball rivalries, we find that if you're from North Carolina, uh, you have a huge preference for Krispy Kreme. Uh, but if you moved here from somewhere else, Krispy Kreme and Dunkin' Donuts are pretty evenly matched. So it's interesting to see on some of these cultural issues that we have this uh, big native, non-native divide. I suspect suspect that somewhere in your history you have uh, uh, done some polling on North Carolina barbecue. Yep. So how does that come out? Eastern <laughs> versus Western? East, Eastern wins by about 10 points. Okay. Of course, Western is kind of split because there's several kinds of Western barbecue. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, let's get back to uh, uh, some more serious uh, uh, things. What uh, is on the mind of people in North Carolina that has to do with state politics? What about teacher pay, for example? Uh, teacher pay is always near the top of the list, uh, and certainly I think still the sort of pervading opinions about state politics over the last few years has been the HB2 controversy. It was interesting the extent to which in legislative races last year, uh, that was a big piece of what uh, people were really sort of campaigning on. Democrats were attacking Republicans for having supported it, and then a lot of Republicans in those suburban districts in Wake and Mecklenburg County were sort of trying to downplay how they had voted on it. So I think uh, I think that may end up being one of those issues, kind of like the speaker ban law, that people still remember 50 years down the road uh, in a way that doesn't happen with most things in state government. But Honestly, state government is really largely drowned out in voters' minds by what's happening in Washington, D.C. I think I would say at any time over the last 10 years that we've been having these conversations that state politics wasn't as much on people's minds nearly as national politics. But that gap is just growing larger and larger uh, because there's just so much news coming out of the national picture that people don't have any time to process sort of what's going on in state government. And that's meant that there have been very few things that have gone on in state government recently that have really sort of cracked the attention of the general public. Well, one of the big issues statewide has been Silent Sam, the uh, memorial uh, or the statue that was on the campus at Chapel Hill uh, that has been removed. Uh, what kind of polling have you done on that and what are, what's the results? What people say about Confederate monuments in public places is that they don't think they should be destroyed. So certainly if you poll on the students tearing down Silent Sam, people are not going to say that they agreed with that action. 
But they also think that it's fine to move these monuments into museums and those sorts of places where people only have to see them if they want to see them uh, and where they can be put into a more broad public context than if they're just uh, sitting out in public. So I think that uh, if UNC Chapel Hill eventually does move forward with some uh, derivation of this plan to build a university history museum and put the statue in there, people would be fine with that course of action. I'd say that it's really sort of a moderate position that the voters at large take on this. They don't want people going and tearing the things down, but they also don't think that they need to stay up forever in the middle of public places. The whole issue of renaming things, of course, uh, uh, ACOC uh, had, you know, not so long ago, the, the Democrats actually had a Vance ACOC debtor. Now, of course, he has become a person of uh, a question uh, that is questioned as far as how how he voted and how, what issues he stood for. Uh, but you've got Carr. Uh, will the town of Carborough change their name? Well, there's discussion of it. They're yeah. discussing. Uh, I don't think they're actually going to change the name from Carborough, but they're discussing naming it after a different car, and they have come up with a list of different cars that <laughs> Carborough could possibly be named after instead of Julian Carr, much as was done with Keenan Stadium, where I guess the, the son was less racist than the father, so we just changed it to being named after the son. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting as you go back and look at uh, this this whole issue, of course, cultures were just so different then it's it's really hard and of course we are there's nobody left that actually heard speeches and things of that nature which uh, makes it even more difficult to uh, if you look at what's on paper uh, it may tell a different story than what actually may have happened we just don't know did you do any polling on the uh, board of governors uh, uh, reaction to carol folk we haven't done any polling on it, but I can tell you that if we did do polling on it, a strong majority of voters in the state would just have no opinion about it. That's what we find anytime we poll about higher education issues in North Carolina is that most people just are not paying attention. Unless you went to UNC Chapel Hill, you for the most part don't care about this whole controversy. And I guess then even among the you know relatively small percentage of North Carolinians that get, did go to UNC Chapel Hill, uh, you don't necessarily have uh, people that highly engaged on it. So I think that's part of how the Board of Governors has been able to get away with sort of the way it's approached things over uh, the last two years, that a lot of people who are in the know think it's very extreme and very damaging to the university system is there's just not going to be a broad public outcry because the public's not paying enough attention. Far more concerned about uh, K through 12 than Absolutely. the university system. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, interesting. All, all these things are so interesting, and many of them are sort of what you would expect, and many of them, uh, of course, show the continued trend toward apathy. Yeah. And that's, the, that's a great concern to me. It's, I think that's a big part of how we've gotten into such a mess in this country and in this state politically is people just not paying very much attention, not following the news like they used to. Our guest has been Tom Jensen. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear not only this broadcast but any other that he has done. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week on this same group of stations all across North Carolina. So next week, same time, same station. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. 
Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.